0: Located between York and Dallastown, the village of Spry has an interesting history. The village was originally named Innersville in honor of Jacob Inners, whose widow, Susanna Inners, operated a hotel in the village between 1830 and 1850. Susanna was the daughter of Revolutionary War veteran Captain John MacDonald, who owned the land upon which the village was later built. When the first post office in a village was established in July of 1886, the name Spry was chosen for reasons that are unknown. It does not appear to be the name of any early settler or local citizen, and the name Innersville was soon forgotten. When the York and Dallas electric railway was completed in 1902, the tiny farming community experienced a period of rapid growth and development. Within a few years, Spry would boast over 50 houses, three general stores, and several cigar factories. Today, Spry is a thriving suburb of York, peppered with modern housing developments and dozens of businesses, but for most of its history, Spry was known as a rural farming community. In September of 1930, however, the peaceful village of Spry was the scene of the bloodiest murder in York County history. It was here where an entire family was slaughtered by the blade of an insane farmer's axe. The summer of 1930 was dry and dusty. Just a few years before severe drought turned the high plains into the great dust bowl we've all read about in history class, a similar combination of lack of rain and destruction of topsoil by rapid development, brought severe hardship to farmers in York County and other regions east of the Rockies. By August, the widespread failure of corn crops was reported in Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, and Illinois, while the governor of Virginia sent a letter to President Hoover urging a National Day of Prayer for rain. In New Jersey, dairy farmers suffered historic financial losses, while clover, alfalfa, and tomato crops were utterly annihilated. Governor Sampson of Kentucky reported that sheep and cattle were being marched to the slaughterhouse in droves, having lost nearly 90% of their value because farmers could not afford to buy feed. Because of parched pastures, milk shortages were rampant across the United States. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, many residents of York County witnessed one of the strangest sights their eyes had ever beheld. The destruction of pasture and lack of rain forced entire herds of sheep and cattle to graze on the Susquehanna River, one of the few places where grass could still be found, growing from the many exposed spots of riverbed. It was reported on August 12th that between Long Level and Wrightsville, not a single blade of grass could be found. Pennsylvania's Department of Agriculture reported on August 1st that the state's corn yield had fallen by 33% while hay production had fallen by half a million tons and a potato yield had fallen by 1.5 million bushels. The honey crop, an overlooked but important source of revenue for York County, was practically non-existent that summer. The severe drought not only impacted farmers and food supplies, of course. Throughout York County, heated battles broke out over drinking water. After owners of privately owned water companies refused to comply with state government orders to furnish an increase of water to customers, citizens in Hanover and other parched communities formed citizen groups, vowing to take over the water supply by force if need be. While these hardships do not excuse the brutal actions of 42-year-old spry farmer Harry Dietrich, This snapshot of living conditions in the summer of 1930 do help explain why his mind snapped, causing him to take the lives of his wife and four children before hanging himself. Jacob Epley, a grocer from Spry, was in a foul mood on Tuesday, September 23rd, when he left his home and traveled a mile south to the Dietrich farm. He had purchased a large quantity of potatoes from Harry Dietrich, which were to be delivered on Saturday. By Tuesday, his potatoes still had not arrived and his store had run out, so he went to the farm to have a word with Harry. The 80-acre farm was eerily quiet when he arrived at around 3 o'clock, and Epley's knocks on the kitchen door went unanswered. This unsettled Epley was accustomed to seeing the three Dietrich children around the farm, but the only signs of life were the feeble groans of the starving cows. Epley continued to shout for Harry, but the only reply was his own echo. Epley walked into the barn, oh where he was immediately confronted by the sight of a dead farmer swinging from a rope which had been tied to a rafter. Epley immediately drove back into Spry and notified the coroner, Dr. Lloyd Urbansek, who soon arrived at the farm. After Epley and the coroner cut down the body, they encountered Kerwin Mummert, who was hunting on the land bordering the Dietrich farm. He hadn't seen any activity at the farm or any sign of Harry's wife or children. Fearing that the nightmare was just beginning, the coroner asked the two men to enter the house with him. He was correct. The coroner was used to seeing dead bodies, but not even he was prepared for the gruesome sights the men would soon encounter. Inside an empty candy box on the kitchen table, the coroner found Harry's suicide note, which hinted that the Dietrich family had agreed to sacrifice themselves. The note read, Financial worry. Bury at Stone Pile. Tell Saul and Fred to be good to mother. We are out of their way. Also, Calvin Runkle. We decided to die together. I could not leave them alone. The note was unsigned. The Stone Pile was a reference to the cemetery of the Bethlehem Stone Pile Methodist Church in Red Lion, while Saul and Fred were the dead man's brother-in-law and brother. The Calvin Runkle mentioned in the note was Mrs. Dietrich's father. While Epley and Mummer searched downstairs, Coroner Zeck went upstairs. Opening the door to one of the bedrooms, the coroner saw a sight that made him sick. In all my experience as coroner of this county, this was the most terrible example of violent death that I have been called upon to witness, he later stated. Words cannot describe it. I have never seen anything like it before, and I never want to again. Inside the room, three beds stood with their backs to the wall, two of them containing three of the Dietrich children, eleven-year-old Mabel, eight-year-old Anna, and five-year-old Johnny. Just inside the door, sprawled across the floor, was thirty-year-old Malvina Dietrich. The body of the oldest boy, ten-year-old Paul, was next to her. A blunt axe, smeared with blood, was found on a floor near Malvina's body. After attacking his victims with the axe, Harry had wrapped twine tightly around their throats to ensure their deaths. While Harry's suicide note implied that the family had decided, as a group, to forfeit their lives, evidence at the scene suggested otherwise. Malvina's fatal wound had been a single blow to the back of the head with the axe, while the children were apparently still asleep in their beds. But a child's bloody handprint on the wall bore mute evidence that one of the children had put up a fight. The coroner believed that it was Paul whose hand had made the ghastly print, and he speculated that Paul and Malvina had tried to escape from the room when they were struck down by Harry's blade. The coroner's belief was strengthened by the discovery of a splotch of blood under the lone unoccupied bed, suggesting that Paul had tried to crawl under the bed to escape from his death-crazed father. Streaks of blood ran from beneath the bed to the spot where Paul had fallen, indicating that Paul had been dragged from under the bed by his father. Coroner Zek believed that Harry Dietrich had waited until his family was asleep before killing them, one by one, with a blow to the head with a stout, dull axe. One bedroom on the second floor, believed to have been occupied by five-year-old Johnny, showed signs of recent occupancy perhaps indicating that Harry had carried the boy upstairs so that all his children could die in the same room. Finally, the farmer went into the barn, where he secured a heavy halter rope and fastened one end to a rafter. After placing the noose around his neck, Harry stepped off the ladder leading to the haymow, completing the tragedy. The coroner believed that the murders had taken place late on Sunday night or early on Monday morning. The children's teacher at Sprinkles Schoolhouse reported that the Dietrich children did not show up for class on Monday. Upon further investigation, Deputy Sheriff Harry Mangus found a letter inside the home from a bank in Red Lion informing Dietrich that a payment on a note for $3,800 was due on September 27th. Relatives and friends stated that Harry had been brooding over the failure of his crops that summer, and authorities were satisfied that Harry's mind had snapped under the stress of his financial troubles. Pennsylvania Oddities will return after this brief message. When I want to hear stories about the odd and bizarre, I listen to the Pennsylvania Oddities podcast. But when I want to buy something that's odd and bizarre, I go to www.shopphantasmagoria.com. Phantasmagoria Antiques and Oddities is an online oddities store showcasing hand-selected items from some of the darker and stranger parts of history. Phantasmagoria buys and sells rare and unique items from the Victorian era up to the swinging 60s. From medical oddities and rare books, to fine photography, artwork, and one-of-a-kind decor items, Phantasmagoria has got something for every taste, so long as it's a taste for the bizarre. Visit www.shopphantasmagoria.com and be sure to follow at Phantasmagoria Oddities on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest to stay on top of the new items as they arrive. International shipping is also available. Phantasmagoria is where I go to add to my own personal collection of oddities, and you should too. That's That's www.shopphantasmagoria.com Friends and acquaintances of the killer declared that Harry was widely known as a hard-working man of solid moral character. Some even described him as being excessively religious, while his wife had the respect of everyone in the community. Harry kept the farm in excellent condition, while Malvina kept the home neat and tidy. Religious pictures hung on the walls, while the family Bible, one of seven Bibles owned by the family, occupied a place of prominence inside the home. Tucked among the pages was a poem written by Mabel. Some little folks are apt to say when asked their task to touch. I'll put it off at least today, it cannot matter much. Time is always on the wing, you cannot stop its flight. Then do at once your little task, you'll be happier at night. There is little doubt that Harry was close to his mother, Mrs. Amanda Katherine Dietrich of Red Lion. Harry's last thoughts, as he scribbled his farewell message to the world, were of his mother, and, not surprisingly, she was the first to arrive at the scene of the tragedy after she heard that there was trouble up at the Dietrich place. I knew something was wrong, wept Harry's mother upon learning of the family's slaughter and her son's suicide. Harry didn't act like himself when he was over to our place on Sunday afternoon. He wouldn't even come into the house to eat. Then she collapsed from shock and a physician from Dallastown, Dr. Fry, was summoned. The thought of bearing another one of her children was simply too much for her nerves to bear. She had lost two daughters in infancy, and another at the age of 26. Sadly, Amanda Catherine Dietrich would outlive six of her eight children. Meanwhile, Harry's father roamed the farm in a daze, as though his mind just could not process the horror of his son's actions. By this time, large and motley crowds of the morbidly curious had gathered at the farm. The state highway patrol was dispatched to keep trespassers at bay, while the six bodies were removed to the undertaking parlor of Furness B. Olweiler in Red Lion. Over 5,000 people viewed the bodies at the funeral parlor, while thousands more attended the funeral services at Springdale Evangelical Church on Thursday, September 25th. Ironically, The pastor who officiated the funeral service, Reverend Highland, had also officiated Harry and Malvina's wedding ceremony twelve years earlier. As Harry had requested, his family was laid to rest in the Bethlehem Stonepile Church Cemetery. On October 11th, the Dietrich farm and property was sold at auction, with Elmer Markey of Spry purchasing it for $4,500. He would not get to enjoy his purchase for very long. Markey died less than two years later at the age of 47. It was reported that 4,000 people attended the auction, lending the death farm a carnival-like atmosphere. The public sale more than paid off Dietrich's debt, as folks were willing to pay a premium for anything attached to the terrible tragedy. While many expressed an interest in buying the bloody bed frames from the old farmhouse, The potential buyers were saddened to learn that they had been destroyed before the auction, while new flooring had been laid in the house and the walls repapered to obliviate any trace of the slaughter. All of Harry's axes fetched good prices, however, though the infamous instrument of death which Harry had used to send his wife and four children to their graves was not among them. Whether or not the 1930 slaughter at Spry was the culmination of a murder-suicide pact has never been determined, but if it was, it would not be the last time York County experienced a family tragedy orchestrated by a religious fanatic. On January 25, 2022, a family of three was found dead in the backyard of their West Manchester township home on Loman Avenue. According to police, a young woman and her parents died as part of a suicide pact. Deborah A. Daub, 59, fatally shot her husband, James A. Daub, in the back of the head. Their daughter, 26-year-old Morgan E. Daub, then shot her mother in the back of the head. Finally, Morgan shot herself in the back of the head. Records show that it was Morgan who chose the date of the execution based on a Bible verse, and when the bodies were discovered, She was clutching a sword inscribed with the words, The Sword of the Lord, on its blade. If you enjoyed this podcast, pick up a copy of my newest book, Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 3, available now at www.sunberrypress.com. Volume 3 features 30 remarkable but true stories from every corner of the Keystone State. And be sure to visit my blog, paoddities.blogspot.com, for over 600 bizarre tales of murder and mystery from the colonial era to the present day. The Pennsylvania Oddities Podcast is written, produced, and narrated by Marlon Bressy. Theme music composed by Marlon Bressi. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Listen to the Pennsylvania Oddities podcast on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you find your favorite program. New episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month.